All right. Well, wars and weddings. Wars and weddings. How in the world do those two fit together? They do. They do. Uh, in one way, you want to be prepared before you enter either one. You don't want to go into a wedding unprepared or into a war unprepared. And Jesus uses both of those ideas and illustrations in his, one of his final sermons, his final teachings to his disciples. And, and as we consider this truth, I think we'll find out how both of them are related. Um, I, I was not late for my wedding. Uh, no one wants to be late for their wedding. Uh, I nearly was, I was late for my engagement. <laughs> uh, I was driving from South Carolina to Michigan, and it should take 12 hours, and it took well over 16 hours. I was supposed to meet Sarah and her dad at this really nice restaurant along the Mackinac River. And was it that? It was some nice river. Anyway, uh, at a really nice restaurant, and her dad takes her out, and I'm supposed to come, and, and then he's supposed to go home, and I'm going to propose. Well, in North Carolina somewhere, I took a wrong turn, and uh, that took me an hour out of the way. And uh, I had a map. Uh, but I printed out directions, but this is before your phones had GPS, so I get turned around there, uh, have, have no idea where I am, finally get back on, Dad has to order for me. I'm like, well, he'll be delayed, so I'll go ahead and order, he'll come before. So he gets a steak, that's unusual, he eats fish. Um, well, Tim will be here, so, so th- then the food comes along I-75, I get a flat tire, uh, delayed even more. So he starts to eat, starts to eat the salad, Starts to eat the steak. I'm delayed even further. The restaurant starts closing. <laughs> and missed the whole meal. Eventually he pays for it. Uh, and then I get there right in time. <laughs> and somehow Sarah said yes. I don't know. Uh, I felt prepared, uh, but I really wasn't. I really wasn't. Um, these big situations or events in our life we want to be over-prepared for. Uh, If you're going to propose to someone, you want to be prepared. You want to know the contingencies. If you're going to get married, um, you you want to show up, be ready, right? Um, I I want to just, just, just propose to you that it would be better to show up to your wedding an hour late in your pajamas than to be unprepared for the event that Jesus talks about to us here today. It would be so much better. And so by the time we leave in just a few minutes, right, I want to make sure that everyone in this room, everyone who's listening on the internet, uh, will be prepared for this most important of all events. And that is the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Before we leave today, we need to be prepared for that. Prepared for weather, prepared for weddings, got it together, prepared for war. But are you ready for Christ's coming? He is knocking at your door. Um, So we'll take a minute to study Jesus' teaching. Uh, And and so what we're doing here is, uh, as you know, we're kind of doing a survey of Jesus' life. And in the, the teaching part, 
Uh, what we did last week was surveyed all of his teaching and, and really just said, here it all is. And then today what we're going to do is, is zoom down into one parable of one sermon. What I really like to do is to do two verses of one parable of one sermon of all his teaching. And that, that's what I'm used to, and I really enjoy that. But sometimes it's good to get the big picture. And, and, and that's what, what we did last week. And what I want to do is, is because I think that's so important for us, I'm just going to take a few minutes to review what we looked at. Okay, and so you see that in your notes, and we're not going to take a lot of time with all of that, but if that's on page, um, what is that, page 7? See all of that? <laughs> all, all of page 7 is review. All of those little words really summarizes Jesus' teaching. It summarizes Jesus' teaching. And so, um, a time for everything, wars and weddings. We, we looked last time at Jesus as our primary teacher, right? He, he is, rabbi means my teacher. And so we saw that Jesus taught a whole lot. And, and I just want again this to, to strike you. Um, this is, what, what he did is just on a hundred and, I think it was 120 pages in a Word document. This is all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? And highlighted in green, normally you have it red, right? But highlighted in green is all of Jesus' teaching. Right? So you see that the, the biggest chunk of the Gospels is Jesus' teaching. So the Gospels all all about what Jesus taught. I thought it would be helpful for us to You see the light, uh, aqua blue? So there's the green. The green is Jesus' teaching. This little blue is actually what we're going to consider next week. And we're going to do two sessions on this. Those are the signs and wonders that Jesus performed. Uh, the miraculous events. But you can kind of look at those two big ideas. The miraculous actions that Jesus performed. And, and the teaching that he spoke. And you really have the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But, but when you look at that, it's just like, that's a lot, right? And, and so what, what's helpful for us is if we take that and we try to organize it, organize it a little bit. And what, what that's called is organizing it into, into themes, right? Into big ideas, okay? So that's what we did last week. Um, of course, it's important to look at who Jesus is teaching in each of those cases, Right, a very important question. You, you look at Jesus' teaching. Is he talking to his disciples? Is he talking to the Pharisees? And, and it does determine the content of what he brings out. What did Jesus teach is the big one, though. Uh, what did Jesus teach? And so, um, if I could just illustrate this this way and, and kind of show how, how this is important. In a grocery store, you have that 180 pages of stuff. You, you just have, in the grocery store, you, go, you, have, you have really thousands and thousands and thousands of items. If the grocery store just said, okay, we're just going to throw all this stuff on the shelves, like they do at, oh, what's the, what's that, that one, one grocery store? It just seems like they, they just throw it all on the ground. It's a lot cheaper. Oh, I can't, can't remember. Okay, well, anyway, it's good that they organize it, right? You have a produce section where they put all the produce. You have a bakery where they put all the bread. You have uh, fruits and veggies all over here. Frozen foods all over here. That helps you see where you need to go to get what you need. It organizes it. 
And that's what you could say a grocery store's theme. They organize all the food in this way so that you know what you can find. All right, so this is what we did with Jesus' teaching. We, we looked at all of it, but what's really helpful is to organize it in such a way that you can remember it. Okay, and so what we did is, is we organized all of Jesus' teaching into, first of all, this harmony. All right, and actually I have these again. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm not going to pass these out because I'll lose you. Um, but but I, I reorganized these. Uh, th- this is a harmony of all of Jesus' teaching, okay? And I'll put these on the back table, or if you want, I can and email it to you. Uh, but this is all of Jesus' teaching, and, it, and it, what it does is it starts with Matthew, and it goes through all of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, and then all of Jesus' teaching in Mark that's not included in Matthew, all of Jesus' teaching in Luke that's not included in Matthew or Mark, and then all of Jesus' teaching in John that's not included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, So, so uh, it's just very helpful to see all of it organized that way in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then we organized when this happened, and then who did Jesus teach, and then summarize the big idea of it. So, so this is like four pages of, of information, okay? Um, and, and so I think that's really helpful, but it's also hard to carry that away. And so what we did is we took all of that stuff, all of the, the grocery elements, and we organized them to three aisles, because the, the Bible actually, like you just read it, you say, oh, this actually all falls under these three big aisles. And that helps me put it all in one place, one place, one place. And organize all of Jesus' teaching in these three main headings. Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, the good news of the kingdom. Follow him, right? believe and repent, as king and have eternal life with his father in his house. It's all about the good news about the king. And we saw a lot of things about the king, right? He, he forgives our sins. Um, and, and just you have a paragraph there in your notes that shares the good news about the king. And then the good news about the followers of the king. So we transfer ourselves from the kingdom, the information about entering the kingdom, uh, to the king himself. That would be another big aisle down these gospels. And then this third area, uh, the followers of the kingdom, what they should be characterized by. Things like love and forgiveness. Okay, And, and so that's what that's all about. And I just want to pause here and share the reason why this is important. You know what this is called? This is just called a topical Bible study. All right? in, in, our, in our booklet on how to study the Bible, we teach you how to do this. And I, and I just want to share how important this is. Because I can tell you, this is what Jesus teaches. And I can just pick four or five verses. And I can really slant all of this information by looking at four or five verses. And and let me just say, this is what false teachers do. They not only twist what this text says, some false teachers do that. But another thing they might do is just leave out a portion of, of what Christ teaches in order to push along their false teaching. That's why this is so important. And so those of you who love teaching the Bible, love doing Bible studies, let me just encourage you, this is how you do this. You try to be comprehensive with a topic or theme in the Bible. 
If not, it's very easy to say this is what the Bible teaches, and you're actually twisting that. Right? So like when we just did the emotions study, what we did there is we looked at all of the occurrences of sadness, all of the occurrences of joy in the Bible, and organized that in a way. Right? So, so this is the, the value of Bible study. It, it protects us, and so as a pastor, that, as I do this, this is called exposition, Bible exposition. It's not just picking and choosing. It's saying, this is what Jesus teaches. Let's look at it. It's valuable to our soul, but also it's important for us not to be sidetracked or even go down the wrong pathway. Because as you know, false teachers use the Bible. Satan himself used the Bible, right? Um, so we need to, to consider accurately what Jesus says. Okay, so, so that's why I just recover that again um, to, to share the importance of it and, and, and be patient with that. And I would encourage those of you who love Bible study to start doing this yourself. Uh, consider trying to do this yourself, right? Pick a topic and, and right, it's great to study Philippians and get deep into Philippians or get deep into the Gospel of John. But maybe consider taking a topic like the second coming of Christ and just look at that topic all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. That would be a great Bible study. Okay? All right, so let's, uh, let's continue here. What we did not look at last time was this. The, the, the timing of each of these big discourses. Okay? And so last week, what we did is, is we, we shared all, right, all of the teaching, but we recognized that there were nine kind of big sermons that Christ taught. Okay? And uh, so what I did is uh, I just took some time this week to put on uh, the end of that chart, a, a little, uh, the end of the, the document, a little chart that shows where each of those teachings occur in the timeline of Jesus' life and ministry. Um, and that's going to be very helpful for us, right? We're doing this harmony of the Gospels. We're seeing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find Jesus at his birth all the way to his ascension, right? Uh, from the one side of that line to the other. And, and we find in his ministry, right, we saw that there's this big gap period here, and then there's the baptism. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Jesus' public ministry begins with a temptation, uh, temptation in the wilderness. And so we spent some time with that. But, but you remember there was this growth of Jesus' popularity. There was... Opposition most of the time, right? Especially when he went to Jerusalem. Um, but around 29 AD is when you have this height of popularity and then it totally drops. And, and many people leave Jesus. And we're going to find that also with his miraculous events, okay? So what's interesting here is to consider that in light of these major teaching um, discourses, is what they're called, or sermons. Um, and, and so uh, let's, just, let's just take a moment with this. And, and again, we could take 20 minutes with this. We just don't have time to do that. But um, what's really, really fascinating, right? This, this first teaching is John 3 and John 4, talking about the, the way of eternal life with Gentiles and Jewish people. Teaching number two is what? Sermon on the Mount. Right? We spent a year with that. Okay? Uh, teaching number three, the, what I'm calling the Good Commission. The Good Commission is when Jesus sends his disciples out the first time in Matthew 10. When does he send them out the second time? What do we call that? 
the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Okay, that comes a lot later. Um, but, but there's a, a major discourse, and so you find that in Matthew 10, also Mark 8. So, so you're seeing some parallels here between that teaching and then Matthew, uh, and then the, uh, the, what I'm calling the Kingdom Chronicles. Both of those are the winter of 29. But honestly, like this is the majority of Jesus' ministry. At this point, he really only has a little bit more over a year. So these major discourses come toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Now, he, he probably taught them many times. But as far as the, when, when the gospel writers record the events toward the end. And, and then this one is the big one. This one here. And then this one up here. Uh, John records it in John 6. Uh, about the same time period as the disciples return from their Galilean ministry after being sent out. And then up here, what is this one? The call to the what? The call to the cross. John 6 is where he's rejected, teaching about the bread of life. He's, he's rejected many times, often when he goes to Jerusalem. But this is a big one, where many of his disciples forsake him. And, and, and Jesus says, will you forsake me also? And Peter says, where could we go? You have the words of life. And then he takes them up to the north, and they go on a mountain, and he, and he talks to them. And beginning here, you look at each of these Gospels, beginning there, he really starts focus on the teaching of the cross. I did not come to rule at this point. I came for the cross. I came for the cross. I came for the cross. Take up your cross and follow me. All right, so that's what you have that uh, teaching there. Um, and then that's really the major right, discourses until we get the last week of Jesus' life. And so there you have number seven, number eight, and number nine are all within that last Passion Week of Jesus' life in Jerusalem where he has taught the disciples the way of the cross. A lot of people have forsaken him and fled. And then now he's just kind of biding his time, teaching and doing things away from the crowds. Because if he appears, they're going to take him and stone him. They're going to take him and kill him. Until that last week, and he's like, it's time. It's time to die. And he comes into Jerusalem full well, knowing what's going to happen. His final public appeal. He's no longer uh, talking to Nicodemus at night. He's no longer um, confronting the Pharisees as they come to him in Galilee. He's coming right into the temple and saying, Woe to you Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Please repent. One last shot. And of course they don't. And then this is the sweetest, sweetest portion, I think, of Scripture, this John 13 to 17, where Jesus is, goes into that intimate room with his disciples, and we'll look at that at a later time. Um, but what I want to focus in on today is this teaching number eight, major teaching number eight, this Olivet Discourse. Okay, so this would be during Passion Week, um, about the same time as his final public appeal, and Jesus is going to teach the disciples uh, this very important truth about his second coming. Um, so let's, let's dive into there, okay? Let's dive into there together, this major teaching number eight. Let me just say, you can please take this with you or, or take the PDF and use that as you do your own Bible studies um, because I will probably not refer to that again for a while. Um, 
Okay, so let's jump into major teaching number eight, and this one specific one, the parable of the bridesmaids. Um, as Jesus encourages them to be ready, be ready. Well, the setting of the parable is important, right? The setting of the parable, first of all, uh, the, the, the telling of the story, kind of I've led up to that point now. Um, where is Jesus? When is Jesus telling this story? I just mentioned that. When is he telling it? It's the last week of his life, right? He is coming to do what? To die. He's coming to die. Um, if you have your Bible, look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24, right? It comes in Matthew 25, but he starts it in 24. Jesus, verse 1, came out from the temple and was going away with his disciples, came, came up to a point out of the temple buildings to him and he said to them this is all going to be destroyed and then verse 3 as he was sitting on the mount of olives the disciples came to him privately right so they they walk away from the temple and and they would go up the sea the uh this would be the mount of olives right descending on ascending up the uh, hillside on the opposite side of jerusalem there and and you have uh this mount of olives What's going to happen there? This is Tuesday of Passion Week. All right, what's going to happen there the night Jesus is betrayed? He's going to sweat drops of blood. Same spot. Same spot that he's going to sweat drops of blood. Uh, he is going to now teach his disciples uh, about his second coming. And that's why, this, that's why he's teaching this. Right, because they know the prophecies of Messiah. They know he's come. He's fulfilled all the prophecies about his birth. But what about this death thing? Right? What about the reigning part? Right? So he's going to tell them, listen, listen, this is not the end of the story. The Son of Man is coming again. This is just point A. There's a point B. All right, so, so this is important to recognize. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. When is he talking? Is it the last week of his life? And where? It's actually the spot where he will plead with the Father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. A special discourse with these 12 disciples, getting them ready. Well, what's the setting of the story itself? It's, it's a wedding. Weddings are different everywhere. I don't know. Maybe you, you had a huge wedding Maybe you haven't had any weddings. Weddings were very different back then. Uh, weddings were probably, most of them were arranged weddings. Okay, so you didn't get to choose. Josh would imagine that. You didn't get to choose who you're going to marry. It's like your parents just say, this is who you're going to marry. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they go through this agreement. They're espoused. They're legally, contractually obligated to one another uh, to be married. Um, and, and so there's this, this time period, then, of 12 months of espousal, where the bride starts making her garment. The family just decking it with jewels, uh, preparing the bride for the wedding. What does the groom start doing? He starts preparing a place, and actually usually a room, off of the parent's house, where he can go back, when it's time, and take his bride and bring her to the family home. All right, so we find this in John 14 when Jesus is saying, Be comforted. Don't let your heart be troubled. 
Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many what? Mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. This is all wedding. That's all wedding language. Jesus is saying, you're my bride. I'm going away. Be comforted. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to my father's house. That's all that Jesus is talking about. That's one image of the wedding. But when the actual wedding would come, what would happen is the groom, when it's ready, the groom would go and go to the bride's house, right? And so this is a, a little bit of a picture of that. Right? The groom would, would go to the bride's house and they would have a ceremony there with the bride's family. Um, and, and, and after that ceremony, they would take the bride to the groom's house and they would have a feast at the groom's house. Um, the, the attendants of the bride and the bridegroom would would go along the way celebrating and uh, shouting and you know, getting ready for the feast. When they get to the groom's house, they go in and they celebrate for days. Uh, the marriage is consummated and, uh, and they're married, but, but it's like celebration time, happy time. Uh, sometimes the, the, the ceremony at the bride's house would go long. And would extend hours into the night. And all the attendants, the bride's attendants, the groom's attendants, are waiting for this thing to take place so they can go back to the groom's house and celebrate. And that is the scenario we have here. They are waiting with, as it gets dark with their flashlights, right? with their lamps. These are oil lamps, more like torches. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. Waiting to be called. All right, so we get to the parable here, and we find the failure of the waiting women. What is the failure there? Well, first of all, what do they say? The kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were what? Foolish. Five of them were wise, prudent. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. I hope that's not you today. <laughs> right. As the sermon got long, they all got drowsy and fell asleep. No. Um, so what's their first failure here? Their first failure is that they did not take along the right amount of oil. All right, so G Jesus is teaching the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. And he, he kind of shows this, this illustration that pictures well the idea of the kingdom of heaven. Again, the gospels are all about the kingdom of God. Uh, when Matthew says kingdom of heaven, does he mean anything to it compared to the kingdom of God? No. All right, he's writing to many Jewish people and they wouldn't want to refer to the name of God. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven. Right? So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this. And Jesus is going to give this parable, this illustration, that teaches one main idea. When we look at parables, we don't stress out on each of the tiny details. We try to get the big idea. So that's what we're going to really drive home today, as the Lord teaches us 
about the kingdom. Well, the difference between the wise and the unwise, first of all, is that they were prepared. They took enough oil. And so the first principle we find is that preparedness is essential. Being prepared for the marriage is essential. Um, I see him standing in the street. Uh, the bridegroom's gone. They're all kind of waiting. They're getting to know each other. They probably know each other. Oh, it's 6 p.m. Oh, it's starting to get dark. 7 p.m. Well, at least I brought my, my lamp. Maybe a torch. Maybe what's referred to there. Uh, but at least I brought this. So I'm kind of ready for this, this procession if it goes to, at night. Oh, my, it's 7. It's turn, people are turning their lights on. Then the, the oil starts going. 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. 10 p.m., I'm almost out of, I didn't bring any more oil. They, they weren't prepared if the bridegroom were to wait till midnight. And so principle number one is that it's essential to be prepared. Let me ask you today, are you prepared? So there's the failure of unpreparedness. Then secondly, we see there's the, the failure of what? Grogginess. Verse 5. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. They all did. All ten of them. Not just the five unwise. All of them began to fall asleep. That's a problem. And, and that is a main theme of Jesus' sermon here. If you have your Bible, look back at Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 36. Right, The sermon starts in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angel of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone. Right? Look at verse 4. See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come saying, I am the Messiah. Mislead many. You'll be hearing of what? Wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Various places there will be famines and earthquakes. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus is teaching about wars and weddings. And, and the big point is, like nobody knows when this is going to happen Nobody can tell when, but you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. You can see some signs. You can see it's right at the door, but no one will know. The fig tree bears fruit. when it's. You can kind of tell when it's ready to give fruit. But, verse 36, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angel of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Verse 42 of Matthew 24. Verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert. You do not know which day your Lord is coming. Verse 44. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think that he will. You see the big point of the sermon? 
There's weddings, there's wars. But listen, you don't know when. So the big idea here for every one of us today is to be prepared. Be ready. Don't be ready when you turn 80. Don't be ready when you turn 18. Be ready today. Be ready right now. So principle number two, watchfulness is encouraged. Be, be ready. You don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Stay alert. Because he may be coming today. Um, work that way. Work as if he's coming today. Right? We don't sell everything we have and go up on a mountain and say, Oh, the Lord's coming today. No, we work for him as if he were coming today so that we will be found faithful. Our family's watching this show. It's probably not a good show. I don't know. But it, it was, it's kind of sweet, this one couple. Um, don't tell me the end of it if you, you've watched this show. But this, this, a couple gets placed way out in the wilderness. And it's very dangerous. And they have to try to survive as long as they can. Um, and the husband's 10 miles away from the wife. And, and it takes him. She knows he's coming. But it takes him days to survive and get to him. Like 10 days. And what's really cool is all these, these other teams are, are, are quitting. And they can't make it. Um, but this girl is doing so well. She's made a, like a log cabin. And she's made a raised bed. And she's made this food. Because she loves her husband. And, and, and she's making it ready for her. It's like everyone else has given up. But she has this love. Right after three days, she doesn't say, three days, come on, ten miles, you can't do that. Forget you. I'm just going to live for myself. I think that's a, that would describe a lot of Christians. Jesus isn't coming. I'm just going to live for myself. That's not love. This is love that waits for the bridegroom. I'm going to make myself ready. I, I want to make sure when Jesus comes that that, that that sin is out of my life, that I'm right with God, and that I'm working for Him and His army with the gifts that He's given me. I've made a log cabin, right? I've caught some fish. I've done whatever He's asked me to do in the meantime until the King comes. Watchfulness is encouraged. And then what's really, really, here number Two here, the, the future, and this is our last big idea here, the future of the waiting women is what really wakes us up to this. Look at their future. This is not something to just push aside. Um, uh, verse 6, but at midnight there was a shout. At midnight, they waited all the way to midnight. Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. The wise were able to go in. The unwise were left out. Right? They come and they go shopping. 
Oh, it's midnight. Wait, wait. He's, I hear the sound. He's coming. Let's, let's go prepare ourselves. Let's go and get some oil so that we can go ahead with the same procession with those who are wise. But the door was shut. They first ask if they can transfer their oil from the wise to the foolish, and that doesn't happen. Let me just say, you can't prepare in the time or ask someone to prepare for you. This is something that you have to do for yourself. right? It doesn't extend to your children. You're not born right in this way. You have to get right yourself. You have to be wise yourself. So preparedness is not transferable. Right? The, the fourth principle, though, preparedness is positive. This is a celebration. Those who are prepared enter into the celebration, the days-long celebration with the king. The marriage celebration, a special event. You're welcome. You're invited. You just need to be prepared. You just today need to be prepared. Are you prepared? Right, he's coming. He's coming. Are you ready? Are you prepared? I remember, right, circles I grew up in, this was talked about a whole lot. And I remember as a child, I didn't really like this teaching. Because I, I was prepared, but I kind of wanted to, to have a wife and kids and a job and, and do a lot of stuff before he came. And I don't know that I really had a good sense of life and eternal life until I started walking with the Lord and realizing the joy that there is in His presence. The joy that is the marriage of God and humanity. The joy that is the Garden of Eden. Right? This is, this is a, the, the highest thing we could get to is a marriage celebration that you've been preparing for for a year and you finally enter that joyful celebration together. That's, like, that's the, the epitome of human joy. Right? Are you a family? A lot of times a lot of stress, but you know what I mean. Uh, new beginnings. And, and this, is, this is what we are getting ready for when the Lord comes. There is in his presence fullness of joy. So don't be fearful of it. Right? Especially young folks. Right? Don't be fearful of it. This is, this is like... Like this is the doormat of eternity and your life is wiping your feet as you enter into fullness of joy. Right? And just the few times that you wipe your feet, be faithful doing it, and then you enter into the fullness of joy of eternal bliss. Right? This is what Jesus is teaching. But, but the, the sad news is the foolish. So preparedness is positive. Entering into this marriage feast is positive. But look at the foolish Verses 11, 12. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. This is, this is the important part of Jesus' parable. Right? Jesus is ready to die. He's ready to leave. He's talking about the very spot where he will, he will cry tears of blood overlooking where he will die. And he's saying, listen, I'm coming again, and I want to make sure all of you are ready. All of you need to be ready, or you're not going to be able to enter this next phase of my kingdom. You, you are you're going to be shut out 
And you may look just like the other bridesmaids, and just like the other groomsmen, but you know what? You weren't prepared. And so you will be knocking, and the Lord will say, I do not know you. You're a wedding crasher. You didn't come with the party. That's what he's talking about. People that would try to get in afterwards. You weren't ready when it was time. And so the Bible teaches now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to prepare yourself. Are you prepared? Okay, so how do you get prepared? That's what a lot of people go into crazy details. Like, what is the oil, right? Ah, oh, right. What is the knocking? What is the ten? This is what Jesus is teaching. The, the, the oil is salvation. Having enough, being prepared, is that you have found yourself made right with God through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Preparedness is finding rest in the salvation of another, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus said that. Blessed are those who do what? Wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. How do, I, how do I wash my garment? How do I make myself where I can enter his kingdom? These are the ones, Revelation 7, who have come out of the great tribulation. They have what? Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How do you prepare yourself? How do you wash your garments? How, how are you ready for this wedding feast? The only way is the blood of the Lamb. If you're trying to enter any other way, you're just banging on the door unprepared. Those are the ones. He says, he goes on in verse 17 of Revelation 7, For the Lamb is the center in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, will guide them to the spring of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Be ready. Matthew 26, Jesus will teach this again with his intimate followers two nights later. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is how we make ourselves ready. We, We take upon him. We take upon ourselves the cleansing of the blood of the Lamb. And so I ask in closing uh, that, that, that great gospel song. I love singing this one. Um, Lowry, I think. Robert Lowry. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansions bright? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Let me ask all of us, now with uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, this is Jesus's, I think he's, he's really um, encouraging us to be prepared, Okay. And, and the only way to be prepared is to come through the Lamb. So I just ask each of you, are you prepared? It's not how much have you done, have you joined a church, uh, have you 
done the five pillars or the seven sacraments or the 600 and some odd laws, right? Have you upheld all of the political correct theories of the day? Right? There's all kinds of morality. That's, that, that will do nothing. That will just be banging on the door. This is the question. Are you prepared? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Anything else is not enough oil. Anything else is not enough oil. Well, how do you receive this? And just in closing, between you and God, just say, Lord Jesus, cleanse me. I turn for myself. I turn for my sin. I ask for, for access to your glorious presence. Forgive me based on the cross. Would you do that? Let's all respond uh, to Jesus' message here, to be ready, to be watchful, but also to be prepared through the gospel, right? to be working for him. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be standing in the lobby in a moment. We'll close in prayer, but be happy to pray with, with any of you who uh, want to talk to the Lord about this. But, but you don't need to pray with me. Uh, pray just as you're seated there. Let's do business with the Lord.